Hello and welcome to the Wild Enrichment Podcast. My name is Kyle Banton-Jones and I'll be your host. The Wild Enrichment Podcast is a show about animal welfare, training, enrichment, and everything in between. Each episode, we will be exploring concepts surrounding behavioral husbandry and the ever-advancing field of animal welfare, from interviews with real animal care professionals to educational episodes about new concepts in animal care. This is the Wild Enrichment Podcast. Enjoy. Hey, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Wild Enrichment Podcast. Uh, today, we're going to be doing part three of our hiring process. Uh, today, we have a Canadian, the first Canadian of the three, uh, Mark Branson. Uh, thank you so much for for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, Mark and I used to work together, so I'm uh, happy to talk with him again and uh, very happy that he's on. So maybe, uh, Mark, if you could you know, tell us a little bit about yourself uh, and your sort of background in animal care and hiring. Sure. Um, so I've been at the Assiniboine Park Zoo for roughly 14 years. Uh, I started out at a zoo, as a zookeeper. I moved my way uh, through the ranks as an animal care professional in that way uh, into an animal care supervisor role, uh, shifted laterally to an aquatic operation supervisor position. Uh, and then uh, the last two and a half years or so, I've been working as the curator of animal collections here at the zoo. Uh, and uh, as a hiring manager uh, all throughout since 2014. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Uh, and I can attest to Mark being a great supervisor. So I was excited for uh, for your insight on some of these some of these questions because uh, um, you know, and especially from a Canadian, um, you know, we want to see those those nuances because the two other hiring managers we had on were uh, both um, American and. I find in particular the hopping between so many different zoos is a very uh, it's it's not something that we all get the privilege to do in in Canada, just the nature of there not being that many big zoos around. Um, so, uh, you know, we both work at two of the biggest <laughs> within uh, a very, very long distance. So, um, yeah, it was uh, it's interesting to see uh different insight. But uh, before we sort of jump into the resume and cover letter side of things, uh, people usually always ask about networking and, uh, you know, getting your foot in the door. So uh, what what's uh, your sort of thoughts on how important that is? And what do you what do you think about the whole process there? Uh, networking is absolutely essential to be able to provide an opportunity for you to not only use uh, your network as a resource, uh, it also allows you to troubleshoot from an unbiased group. So uh, my first opportunity to be a participant in a networking program was actually uh, through the Aquatic Life Support Operators in the U.S., so that's otherwise known as ALSO, uh, and ALSO is a conference that happens annually throughout the United States. Uh, but um, I happen to be on the international committee as well, uh, uh, representative of Canada. And uh, it's really a great opportunity to be able to uh, meet vendors and meet uh, people within the industry. And in that in particular case, it offered the opportunity to be able to certify as a water quality technician and as a life support operator. And although, again, one of the nuances of Canada is there was only a few facilities that actually uh, understand that as being a certification that's recognized. Yeah. In the U.S., it was a gold standard. 
And so as you progress through that network, you, you uh, establish your, yourself within a group of peers. Um, and it really allows for you to be able to be in a position where when you have questions or you need um, uh, maybe some insight on something that you're going to be working on as a project that you haven't worked on at your facility, uh, it is absolutely essential to have an uh, established network in place to be able to draw from those individuals and put yourself in a position where you're speaking from a position of knowledge and not necessarily your own. It, you know, it's, it's much easier to be able to use the tried, tested and true model of referencing somebody that has that experience and is willing to share it because they're a part of your network. Yeah, no, that's, that's an awesome answer. I think uh, as well, yeah, what you highlighted at the beginning, having that unbiased person in your network to be able to bounce things off of and and collaborate with is so huge because you know and when you're trying to especially with aquatic systems is is a whole other ball game but you know when it when you're ever you're trying to solve any problem within your facility you know be it small or large you're always going to be dealing with biases and especially at a facility you sort of have the how things have been done in the back of the minds of everybody in the room that is from that facility. So being able to just talk to somebody that doesn't have those those same biases as you, you they could completely solve your pro, your problem in a way that that has nothing to do with your institution, which is fantastic. Exactly. And j just furthermore, uh, obviously there is the uh, AZA membership and the CASA membership and and the connection with AZAC, which is really important as well. Um, my ability to connect with individuals from each of those, whether it be from tags with AZA or species survival programs, especially as a, as a curator now, um, that is also a, a, a network that is able to share information for those other things. So not just aquatic life support systems, but uh, the other components of animal care. And oftentimes uh, it's a give and take where uh, you also want to be in a position where you're retaining that knowledge so that when questions come up, you're also able to supply answers for your network and be a resource for them too. It's not a one-way street when it comes to that network. And the more that you can build your network, the more you can provide also contacts within that network that allow you to be able to um, not necessarily speak for somebody else, but connect other people so that they can share their information with one another. And that is also essential too, because when your net for, when your network expands organically, you will actually position yourself in a in a way to have somebody know you and and be a reference that's also not your um, your buddy yeah. at the at the facility or or someone who isn't is no has notoriety or is recognized within the industry that otherwise uh, wouldn't know you unless you were a part of a network. Yeah, no, that's that's a that's a great point. And especially, you know, talking about it being a two way street like that is one thing, especially when you're trying to build a network, uh, you definitely don't want to be, you know, just trying to take from your network and hey, can, what, what about this opportunity or, you know, this question or this question. you also want to be a, a resource and be valuable to your network because, you know, at the end of the day, especially if it's a bunch of the, the zoo community is fantastic as a whole, but at the end of the day, if you're just coming there with with no knowledge and just taking, taking, taking and expecting everything in return, it's that's a surefire way not to grow your network. So, yeah, that's that's a that's a really good point. Um, so maybe we'll uh, 
sort of transition into resumes and cover letters here because that's you know sort of the next step once you have this sort of uh, network and know a few people. Um, so as a sort of an overarching uh, topic, like what are you sort of looking for in a resume and cover letter? It's sort of a broad question, but I'd love it to is hear a broad question, and and honestly, um, for individuals that are looking to to establish themselves in a way that they're going to get their resume forward, you want to make sure that there's keywords within your resume and your cover letter that match the criteria that's set out by likely the HR um, uh, programs that are going to be operating in a way that finds those keywords and sorts them. For larger organizations, there's a sorting tool that HR does ahead of time yeah. to be able to make sure that your cover letter and, and resume hits all the marks. And the other thing is, please read the job description and be aware of all of the things that are part of it, because that leads into something later as well that we'll talk about. But also, it allows you to fill the, uh, fulfill what is requested of you within that job description and match it with your resume in a way that is going to position yourself to even get an interview to begin with. Yeah. That's a great point about the 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 sorting softwares that are in use in a lot of places too. No one's mentioned that yet, and that's absolute. Especially like if your your zoo is associated with a government or like a municipality or something that's dealing with thousands of resumes a year, like you can guarantee that it's going through one of those those softwares. And if you don't have the the keywords in your resume it's just even though even if it was great and you had all the experience you know it's it's not going to make the cut especially if you don't if you don't have that sort of network already there where you can they know a little bit about you you know exactly yeah that's that's uh yeah that's a really good point um so are there are there any specific like red flags that jump out at you uh, consistent mistakes that you see in these resumes and cover letters i mean the, the biggest I, I would say the first thing is it, it's easy to to spot spelling errors. Yeah. Uh, so like that's a, just a simple thing. Um, but you want to be able to position yourself uh, with your resume uh, to to represent the most applicable components of what the job is looking for, but also the most relevant and interesting stuff that you can bring to the table when you're introducing yourself. So if you have something that you're really proud of, you want to present it in your resume in a highlighted way so that then you have something that you can talk about. It might even be the HR person that brings it up at the beginning. So tell me more about this particular thing. And it's almost as though you're bringing your, your portfolio to the, uh, to this, the interview ahead of time. So you can present something that they're really interested in and they want to pick at, at the beginning. Because otherwise, it's a lot of comparing apples to apples with a lot yeah. of people that have equivalent experience. Or in some cases, they're for entry-level positions, uh, it's positions that are, um, you know, or sorry, applicants that are in a in a position that they may not have as much experience as they, they want to be able to represent. And so in order to get yourself with that minimal experience, you want to put something that you're proud of so you can talk about it and maybe differentiate yourself amongst your peers that are also applying. For sure. Cause yeah, even if you don't have, you know, the direct specific niche experience that they're looking for, you might be able to frame a lot of your other experience and, and tell somebody on your resume about how, you know, uh, we used a bar bartending as an example 
you know, that's, that's uh, dealing with the public, that's public speaking. That's, you know, that's a lot of different things dealing in under like a sort of high pressure environment. Uh, definitely uh, super important. And speaking of, uh, you had uh, mentioned uh, portfolios. Are you, are, are you clicking those like external link? If someone like links in, uh, puts like a link to their LinkedIn or, or some other project on their resume, are you clicking those links? Are you looking at those things? I would say that that at a surface level, you might have, um, especially when there's a serious consideration for a person in that position, um, you don't want your only um, your only representation online to be your social media that is maybe your social app. Uh, yeah. you, want a, you want a professional LinkedIn that, that you can reference because when people are looking, sometimes they just want to see, you know, some of the things that you're doing on the side projects or, or maybe, and you don't want it to be some of your extracurriculars that are maybe not well represented. Yeah. yeah. No, that's, that's a great point. Yeah. And so, uh, so you would, you know, recommend a, a sort of LinkedIn on the resume. That's, that's a good, yeah. And, and linking back to the networking, um, your network can become or be sorted in some fashion through the LinkedIn process. Uh, that's your professional platform to be able to represent yourself. And it may not be um, the uh, thing that brings you over the top, but at least it, it establishes maybe um, the fact that you do have a pro professional representation of yourself. Yeah, because there, there's there might be someone that you, that you also know you know, that they share a connection with and you might be able to reach out, hey, is this person, you ever touch base with this person? Like, or what do you think about this person? Because it is a very, very small world in animal care. And, you know, you, uh, yeah, you never know. And that's a good resource as a hiring manager, I'd imagine, getting that sort of recommendation. And especially in, in the uh, Canadian um, platform where, you know, as you said, there there is uh, only um, a small collection of zoos in respect to larger zoos. And um, the experience that you might have um, that, that's, a, another form of a resume that you're putting on there. And you can also speak more to what you've done in those instances in the descriptions. And so that just adds a little bit more and, uh, can add to the interest that you're drumming up when you're trying to get a position. Yes. Yeah. Um, do you have a sort of any model in your mind about the, like the best resume you've ever received or the best application that, that sort of stands out to you or do they just all sort of blend together in that front? You know, it, it, it really depends on what season. When you're looking at a seasonal position, for instance, there's a lot more applications because there's people that are trying to get their foot in the door. Yeah. Uh, as you start to move up within the organization um, and you're looking for more high, higher level positions, you're probably looking at people that have a higher skill set. So the, the amount of people that are considered resume wise are less uh, individuals. Uh, but that's where, you know, maybe the focal points on, you know, the highlights, uh, a quick synopsis, because you're also dealing with a situation where we may have interviewed 25, we may have interviewed 75, or we may only inter interviewed five people. Yeah. In, and the, the scale will also be uh, the amount of time that we have allotted to be able to look at those resumes in full detail. And so if you are really looking and focusing on those uh, highlights and, you know, whether it's in bold, not italics, but it's, you know, yeah. in a way that you're showing it off and mm -hmm. really uh, pique that interest uh, fairly quickly, 
um, that will expedite the process for you to get an interview because um, because it's something that is saving time and time is is a part of it. It's you you yeah. you like to think that there is all the time in the world for you uh, for everybody to read every minute um, uh, detail within your resume or cover letter. Uh, but if it meets the criteria, you're going to go ahead with it uh, because you need to then get to the next step. Oftentimes, because you're filling a position that's been vacant for some time, uh, it's not a new position yeah. that's created. It's a position that's needing to be filled because of a vacancy. And so there's a pressure on the, the hiring staff to also bring somebody in in a timely manner so that their staff are relieved by that help coming in. Yeah. And and that's a, that's a good point with the trying to get the hiring manager to quickly enjoy your resume and understand that it's a uh, you know an interview worthy resume and do that quickly you know yeah you don't want to be you know all those people trying to get you to watch a show and they're like oh don't worry about the first season or the second season start with the third you you just don't have time you know you want to you want to get hooked immediately and and trying to get that out of your resume is is definitely challenging but but yeah it can be very important but uh, so you mentioned uh, interviewing, so we'll we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, do you have any sort of general things you'd like to to tell people going into a sort of starting keeper position? Yeah, I mean, one of the things is is uh, you're you're bringing a sales pitch to uh, to the uh, equation, but at the same time, you do need to understand that the HR person in the room is not necessarily understanding the minutiae and the details of animal care and the, maybe the scientific uh, component that you want to be representing. And you, you want to say and impress everybody that's, uh, that's in that room by your knowledge and your experience and how that is uh, applicable to the job that you're applying to and how maybe you can easily transition within that. So I, I apologize while I'm talking right now. My, my parrot is just behind <laughs> is also answering these questions but we uh, get we get we get pets all the time this is an animal <laughs> audience so that's bonus bonus points for yeah. for the parrot <laughs> so um anyway uh the uh that component of having somebody that is bringing that sales pitch but also speaking to the hr person in the room will really help you define what you're the which way you approach answering the questions a lot of people especially if you've worked in a, a frontline position where there's um public speaking involved or maybe you're at a at a seasonal position and you've done a lot of keeper chats or or those types of uh, things where you're talking about animals and animals is your passion that's probably why you're getting into this profession you know more more than what you're representing if you're nervously answering questions. Mm. You you want to talk to somebody in that impassioned way where you're maybe talking to a member of the public about your favorite animal and the favorite attributes of that animal. I find that when you're speaking to that member of the public, you are thorough, you're detailed, you're you're talking in a way that that we, we talk about it when there's children in a crowd, you're talking to that child that's there and you're you're wanting to be inclusive with the language that you use you're wanting to be representative of the messaging that you're trying to get to get across and that's the same thing in an interview and you'll find that people say oh i'm not really that great at interviews or i get really nervous and then they'll walk out of that interview and go do a keeper chat and just rock it on the other end and how do you make 
and marry the two is how you prepare for an interview, especially when you're an internal candidate, but also when you're a person that's trying to make it out for the first time within uh, the profession, you want to be able to just talk passionately about the uh, information that you have. And then also you have very unique experiences for uh, what you're selling as, as your, uh, yourself. And you want to talk about that in, in a way that you're, you're, we're telling the story uh, about yourself. And you start that story and uh, the, probably the first question that's being asked is, tell us a little bit about yourself. You start that process. But what I also find in those interviews is that people really shoot their shot on that first question. And they yeah. all this momentum and steam goes in, and then all of the rest of the questions is kind of a stumble and a fumble going for, going forward because they've spent so much time and effort in that first question. Well, I'll tell you one uh, trick, and this is uh, um, going to get you ahead. That question is very often not even graded. It's not yeah. a question that has a value to it. It's just an icebreaker, and so if you mm -hmm got on an icebreaker that's not even graded and then fumble your way through all of the graded questions in a, in a interview, uh, you're not going to have a good score. And yeah. what you want to do is start the story. You're telling a brief, it always says, tells us a brief synopsis about yourself. And then when it goes past what you might consider brief, which is not very much, it's just, uh, then you're losing that momentum as you're going through. So start the story. Then you start answering the questions and you answer the questions as if you're teaching that HR person what you know mm -hmm. about the subject matter. Yeah, that's that's really, really good advice because it really is the same skill. And I always tell people, uh, you know, you, you touched on people that get nervous in interviews, uh, you know, like if you you need to try to make other people around you passionate about the things that you're passionate about. And if you can do that and like sort of lean back on that passion and that enthusiasm as a crutch when you're in nervous situations, uh, that's gonna, that's gonna shine through. And it's the same, it's the same skill as yeah. Giving it to keeper type because it's, it's the same thing. It's, uh, you're, you're trying to get people passionate in maybe not about a specific animal, but about you and, yeah. and, and yeah. And sort of, focusing so much on that first question of tell us about yourself is is silly like you you wrote your resume like you're not going to forget where did i go to university like you're you, there's no point in in uh in focusing on that and stressing about that question like that's that's something you should you should know right off the bat you should be sort of trying to prepare yourself for for the rest of it for the questions that you don't know because you know that question's coming the, the other thing, as you're, you're talking about questions and going forward, there, there's a lot of generalities that are talked about in the way that you answer a question. And oftentimes when scoring as a hiring manager or an HR person in that room, you're not capable of really finding tangible facts within a generality. And so when, we, when it's asking for specifics, tell us an example of something. It isn't, oh, you know, this happened and, and uh, a general uh, a synopsis of something. Tell something specific, have a tangible component to it, and then have outcomes. And if you haven't prepared that way, before you interview, prepare with that in mind, where, mm -hmm. where you're coming up with uh, stories and you know there's a story about conflict. You know there's a story yeah. 
um, equity in, within the workplace and how you've fostered that environment. You know that those types of uh, things are happening to be questions that are you're going to come about. And maybe, and actually, if you've ever interviewed before, try to make note of those questions that are being answered or uh, being asked, because they're going to be a common thread throughout that you can then prepare yourself for maybe if the first time is not successful. Yeah. And that's so important, especially at, if you're, if you're, you know, a seasonal or a temporary keeper at an institution and you want to become full-time, all of those interviews are, are just learning processes and you trying to get better. And everybody is under that understanding, you know, like if you're interviewing somebody that is brand new and has, you know, four months of animal care experience, you're expecting them not to do that well on the interview and it's to be a learning process and everybody knows that. So yeah, thinking about it as a sort of verbal exam and, and writing those things down and focusing on those questions and having those stories in the back of your mind and sort of adjusting, you're not going to get the same interview again, but it's also not going to change that much because who has time to write a completely new interview, especially if you're interviewing like a month later. Exactly. And, and there, there is also certain resources and, and uh, uh, guiding tools that can be provided to you. If you know that you're working at a facility that focuses on polar bears, you, yeah. you should, should research on polar bears and maybe the, the, the act or the standard that governs that institution's uh, rules and, and, and how they operate through animal care and, and welfare. If you have an AZA institution that you're applying for, you should uh, brush up on your AZA, AZA institutions, the concept of species survival programs. Uh, if you have a training focused environment, you want to learn about spider and the model that that uh, that training in, uh, involves. And then if you're a CASA accredited institution or otherwise, there are there are always resources on those websites that that uh, institution, they've gotten that accreditation and they feel that it's important. It's the gold yeah. standard to them. And so if yeah. you've studied those things ahead of time, those will be questions that are even either common threads throughout the interview process, or they will be specifically asking you, what is an AZA standard? What uh, can you tell me about that, uh, that AZA standard? And if you just say the title, well, that's, that's 0.5 of a point. You know, if you yeah. can the subheadings and the details and the explanation and how you apply that, you're rocking that interview from the start. Yeah, and 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 all of these resources, as you mentioned, are for the most part free online, especially at, at AZA. Like it's all of the husbandry manuals are right there. You can go access them all, and you know, especially if it's an inter, a, an, a sort of beginner interview, you're not going to be asked about a super, you know, the minutia of the sort of polar bear husbandry manual, but understanding those concepts and seeing where those common threads and understanding the overarching missions of a lot of these institutions is going to make you stand out for sure. You know, and the same goes for the facility that you're working at. Look at the strategic plans, look at the, the, the goals of the company and, and look at the, the past and what they're working on and the new exhibits they're working on, what's different. And it's the same, it's the same sort of the co concept of, of doing your research into things that are not necessarily staring you right in the face or that you might've experienced. Yeah. And, and at the end of the day too, if you understand how that, what, as you said, the strategic 
goals of that organization are, maybe the framework or, or the uh, hierarchy of that, that organization as well, you might also understand and be able to prepare yourself for how a reporting structure works. And those are going to be questions as well. So, yeah. you know, how you respond um, in, in, a, in the case of a, an animal that has a behavior that is different than normal. Those types of questions are, are also common. And when it ends up being a question, you want to know how that organization is going to run. And again, using the references. And that is also how you can potentially prepare yourself by tapping into your network and bringing mm -hmm. that network in and say, do you know anybody from in this institution? Follow your LinkedIn and see that that person is connected with the zoo that you're looking to apply for. And then maybe you can familiarize yourself with the structure of that organization before you even step foot within the uh, the interview itself. Yeah, and and I think that's that's the the interview as well is going to be tailored to where the position was, uh, you know, broadcasted. If this is an external position that they're hiring for, you, you they're not going to be asking you very specific things about what they're doing at the organization like what policy is this because those right. aren't that's not public information but if you work at that institution you should look be looking at your policies and tailoring what you're studying for for the job and for the interview because that's you know, they're not going to ask you a specific interview question and not everybody else just because you work there yeah if, if yeah. you're catch that out of the you know the dark and answer a policy question and they're asking you that i mean kudos to you that's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah no that's that's some really good uh really good interview advice um so you know let's say you rocked the interview you just got your first starting position uh what do you see as the most important quality in a sort of temporary keeper uh that that they can have to sort of make themselves permanent put them on that road so uh, I, being consistent um there, there's a lot of pressure to be fast uh, or efficient or those types of things when you've worked into an organization. As I said before, oftentimes the organization is filling a vacancy and you're, you're looking to fulfill that vacancy, whether it be uh, a vacancy that's created through a seasonal or temporary uh, position where um, an individual has vacated the space due to you know a summer season and they're come bringing in new staff each year or maybe you're covering a mat leave or, or some sort of parental leave consideration. Uh, those are opportunities to prove yourself uh, within that organization. You're looking to gain experience and, and, uh, and represent yourself, but also build a reputation for yourself. You're starting off within the organization. It may not be the only organization that you, that you work for within uh, there, but again, the curators are are connected to uh, to one another through uh, various um, uh, you know through CASA as fellow members or or otherwise. There there's going to be communications that are there through the um, the reference side of things when HR is calling and and asking about your uh, body of work um, at the beginning and then later if you're looking to become an, a, per, a permanent uh, person. They're looking to ask the supervisor and look at the performance review that that has been a part of that. So yeah. understanding what your job description is and understanding how you fit within the organization is something you need to as kind of learn soon as you've started into a position yeah. and then being consistent and being reliable um, and being in a position where you can, um, you know, 
you're not overexerting yourself, but you're proving that you can you can really do the job and you could do the job um, within what the expectations of your coworkers and your managers would be. And I mean, that's a lot. That, that's a lot yeah. to pick up within a short period of time. Um, and that's where, again, if you have people that you're connected to that you can um, you can bounce off or have mentorship with, those mm. are great potentials. Not everybody has that, though. And yeah. so um, providing yourself with an opportunity to just be, you are shown the work, maybe put in some time to, to learn the natural histories and natural behaviors of the animals you're, you're about to work with. Um, and some, there's a lot of expectation when a person asks, what do you need from an organization? Uh, to then be successful in this role. That's a question that's common as well. One of the last questions in an interview, it's not great, it's not graded, but, or maybe it is, but in, uh, in my experience, it isn't. Um, but what you're going to experience is you're going to um, experience something where you go, well, I need training. You're going to say, I need training from the organization and I'm going to need to know what, what the organization expects of me um, but if you're not willing to train yourself and mm -hmm. better yourself within that time frame, you're probably not going to be as successful as you could be uh, and work yourself towards that permanency because that self-development um, is something that, and that's drive, uh, is mm -hmm. something that is essential for your success. Um, and although there's a lot of consideration that there's a lot of factors that, that dictate what success is, um, you are the main driver and main controller of that success in what you put in and is what you get out. Yeah. Well, and, and, and as well, like you mentioned consistency, like that's such an overlooked part of the job because I find especially newer keepers, they're looking to like really make a mark right away. And, you know, I'm going to train this animal to do this super complex behavior, or I'm going to solve this big organizational problem. And I'm going to, and everyone's going to carry me on their shoulders. And, but showing up to work and consistently doing a good job and trying your best is honestly, that's 90% of what, of what it will take to get permanent at a job because so many people don't do that, you know, and, and having that consistency and being a reliable individual is, is, is huge. It, it really is. It, 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 it makes a huge difference because when your coworkers realize that they can rely on you and your, their, your managers or supervisors realize they can rely on you, um, they're going to look to you for, um, for a lot of other things as well. And, and mm -hmm. the other thing that you want to prepare yourself for is understanding the environment that you're walking into. Um, sometimes there, there are certain ambitions that you're bringing to the table that are just not achievable within the organization that you're entering. Yeah. And understanding the, what, what confines you is we'll call it the sphere of influence that you provide within that organization. Um, if, if you are very specifically uh, employed for a specific task, doing that really well is your job. Um, yeah. If you're able to do extracurricular things, if your interest is joining the health and safety committee or, or joining committees within it, that's great. But you have to make sure that your primary job is not affected in, in a way that you're mm -hmm. not consistent and not doing that well because you're doing your extracurriculars. Yeah. And and those things like committees can really benefit you within the organization. It's hard to do that as a term employee. Uh, sure. But when you're considering those things down the line, um, 
do your primary job really well. And then you can add to that as you go. And that's mm-hmm. where self-learning and self-development. Uh, there's a lot of free resources uh, online uh, that provide opportunities for you to be uh, gain knowledge. As soon as you're, you're pointed in a direction, gaining that, that knowledge personally, whether it be through seeking organizational policies or asking your coworkers or your, or your supervisors for, for resources, or whether it be finding those resources. And this is where you have to be careful. Finding those resources as a reference is important. But if that resource, uh, we train this animal to do this uh, tremendous task, but your organization doesn't do that, it's not valuable to mm-hmm. present because it's not achievable. So working within the achievable thing, uh, confines, if you're a temporary worker, you're probably going to be doing um, work that is with a coworker or a cohort. And you also want to fit the environment in that way. So, mm-hmm. not, you know, step on toes or, or, or do something outside of what, what would be your ex- expected work um, without permission. And, and you know, mm-hmm. you don't, uh, it's a real fine line to walk. So where I'm saying is using it as a reference so that then personally you can say i can build off of this experience gain knowledge and then use that knowledge to gain more experience and back and forth between knowledge and experience and you'll find that your education is that first bit of knowledge so your high school and then your university and any um uh, college or or certifications that you get they're really great to be able to build your resume but also if you're building it in a way that that is kind of uh, a mosaic of the way that you're defining yourself mm-hmm. and your trajectory as an employee those are ways to be able to um to start establishing yourself in a way in a direction that you want to be yeah the last thing about that though is that it may not fit your timeline mm-hmm. and not to be discouraged with the timeline different difference your expected timeline is often way faster than the organization can uh, can bring you to mm-hmm. and not Absolutely. to get discouraged with that but rather realize that your time that you may feel you're plateauing is time for you to develop yourself or learn about things within the organization that's when you you've done the job you've done your job well and you can do it to a point that you're consistent and reliable and everybody can do can work with you on that and they know that you have that cover that's when it's an opportunity to expand and grow within the organization by adding more things to your repertoire and that's how then you might be, get that permanency or that promotion or something along those lines. Yeah, no, that's, that's, yeah, that's excellent advice. And, um, yeah, it's, it's super important to, to focus and to, uh, yeah, consistency and it, yeah, all super important. It's a, it's a tough place to be and it's uh, yeah, it's a tough line to walk a lot of the time, but, you know, doing that is, is how you become, uh, a, great professional regardless of where you are you know and what industry you're in it's exactly and and as long as your expectations and your are realistic right that that's the other thing too is is you know we are all the uh the heroes of our own stories we're 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 all the uh protagonists within within that uh that novel that we're writing about ourselves and if we it uh if we understand that everybody else is feeling the same way uh 
you know, it, it really helps you work together uh, yeah. to get, rather than working against somebody. That's the other mm -hmm. thing is, it is, uh, it is very competitive. It can be very competitive for jobs. Um, and, um, it can be very discouraging when a cohort or, or somebody maybe even junior to you within an organization yeah. get, gets the position that you wanted. Um, but realizing that, that, you know, what you can do is, is develop yourself to position yourself better, mm -hmm. uh, is, is something that, uh, uh, helps you the next time around is in, in positioning yourself, uh, and being, you know, happy for your coworkers when they're successful, because, uh, everybody's success is, is, is important. It's not, not just yours. Yeah. And, and as well, like, you know, making sure this facility and this organization is one that, that fits you, you know, that's the other part of it as well. Cause you know, there's there's a lot that you have to do to fit into an organization and fit into the culture and fit into the way they do things, especially, you know, uh, you're going to find as if you're going to different organizations, they vary tremendously in, in the way they do things. But you have to make sure that it's the right place for you, because if you put in all this work and you're sort of denying the fact that it's not the right place for you, you're never going to to find that that sort of flow where you where you're also doing all these things you want to do and the organization supporting you in doing them, exactly. you know? Yeah. Super, super important. So is there any sort of, uh, resources or, uh, that you would like to promote or that, that you think would help people in the hiring process or anything at all that you want to mention? Uh, again, I, I mentioned a lot of resources, uh, within this already, uh, when it comes to having your, your AZA and your CASA, um, standards, uh, and those types of, uh, opportunities are, are online and available. Um, there, there is some valuable, um, uh, initiatives that you can also connect with, which, uh, which, which help you kind of, um, talk about maybe leadership opportunities or those types of things. One of the things that, that, that I've recently connected with is the OceanWise initiative and with the shoreline. Yeah. And um, that's a great opportunity as, as, a, as a junior employee to say, hey, I, I helped coordinate this process and, uh, um, and it's something that you can do and benefit your community. Um, it's, uh, something I've, uh, I, we've done now and, and my organization has adopted it as a thing that we do every year, uh, going mm. forward. And it's a really great initiative. Um, those, those types of things, again, allow you to be able to talk about a project within your, your interview and something that you did from start to finish and, and have tangible outcomes. Uh, another thing would be is, is if you're in a position where, uh, an interview has asked you, um, what have you done in the last year to better yourself? There's a lot of wonderful training by Karen Pryor and uh, Steve Martin and, and a lot of opportunities to go through that type of training uh, that is relatively economical uh, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. That, uh, but even, uh, you know, reading some, uh, some quality books on po positive reinforcement training or, or otherwise. Yeah. Saying you read a book um, is a tangible thing. Uh, mm -hmm. Get certification is a tangible thing. And so if you've, if you've done a couple of years and you're looking to, to grow, tangible 
um, short-term goals can can accumulate to be something that puts you over the top. And I, I just would really encourage from the safety aspect, those are easy certifications to get. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, they improve your longevity as as an employee uh, by being safer in the workplace. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of those types of things where they are recognized as an, as um, a really positive uh, employee um, aspect, you know, something that you can put on your resume. Uh, but also something that just keeps you safer, which is really important too, because at the end of the day, it's a very physical job, often working in animal care. And if you're not physically um, keeping yourself safe and mentally keeping yourself safe, um, mm, then yeah. you're not necessarily positioning yourself for longevity within the organization either. Yeah, no, those are some great, great resources. And I will uh, try to link as many as I can in the in the show, show notes and that's great note on safety we work with a lot of dangerous things you got to be got to be safe in the workplace there's not many professions that if you leave a door open it could be your last day working and that's the profession that we work in so um yeah what, one other link i uh, i wanted to connect with uh was the canadian association of underwater science mm. uh, uh it's cause um and also so uh, the aquatic life support operators but okay. uh, uh, but cause is our Canadian dive uh, regulation agency within uh, Canada. And uh, they provide scientific diving opportunities for people that are doing research, but also allow for um, across Canada uh, dive cert certification in a scientific diving way so that we can be doing it. For instance, at the Assiniboine Park Zoo, scientific diving is the method to be able to do um uh our diving and our dive operations in a safe way um and they regulate those um those processes but they also provide that resource that um allows you to have uh all the safety measures for diving operations um and then again i'll, I'll also plug uh you know being the safety aspect as well but emergency response team considerations are something that you can uh, put yourself ahead with uh, just by um, being knowledgeable within those capacities in a very um, appropriate way, though. Uh, you know, being over eager when it comes to creating uh, yeah. guns within an animal organization is not what we're looking for either. No, uh, uh, it's being uh, wanting to be safer by being better and knowledgeable because you're looking at uh, a way of being very. Um, uh, the best well-trained uh, individual with that skill set to never have to use your skill, which is really important as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, those are those are excellent points, and I will definitely link those uh, down below. Uh, Mark, I was outstanding talking to you. Uh, this super useful podcast. There's lots of great information, especially for some of our Canadian listeners. So thank you so much again for coming on. This was uh, fantastic. I feel like we could have gone to probably another hour if we had another couple questions in there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, like at any time, Kyle, I'm happy uh, to uh, oblige. Uh, I, I would love to help people uh, uh, get into the very passionate industry that I'm passionate about. So yeah, no, it's 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 excellent to work in. So thanks again, Mark. Uh, we really appreciate it. And until next time, everybody listening, thank you. We hope you enjoyed that episode of the Wild Enrichment Podcast. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find us at Wild Enrichment on Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest. 
If you want to learn more about Wild Enrichment and see some of our great resources, check out www.wildenrichment.com. Also, if you wish to support Wild Enrichment, check out our Patreon. Again, thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Wild Enrichment is independently owned and claims no affiliation to any zoo, aquarium, or other animal care institutions. All of the information and opinions communicated through this podcast, wildenrichment.com, and affiliated social media accounts are based on my own opinions and experiences and are not in any way reflective of the opinions of my employers past or present. Thank you.